very convicted that uh, we need to get as much of this as possible. So um, what, what was going to start happening was uh, each week, it was kind of as we walked through the themes, uh, we're going to be bouncing from passage to passage, kind of forward and backward. We were going to go from chapter 5 to chapter 11 and then back and um, kind of all over the place to kind of hit these themes. But the more I spent time thinking about it, I just felt uh, a couple things. One is I felt like um, it's Revelation is a difficult book to understand and just felt like that might be more confusing than helpful to kind of be moving back and forth through the book. But really, more than anything, what I, where I think this conviction comes from the most is um, I am, yeah, I, I've mentioned this to you all before, I have not spent uh, very much time in this book to my own uh, fault and my own, like, missing out. But, like, at 41 years of age, uh, this is the first time I've done a really deep dive uh, beyond, you know, kind of walking through it in seminary and, and hitting some passages here and there as I've studied scripture and done other things, but um, I am convinced that this this book needs to be a well-worn, dearly loved devotional for us for the rest of our lives. This book needs to, to stop being a book that is kind of tacked on the end of scripture that we're afraid to go to, and we, we only go there to find a verse or two, and then we jump back out as quickly as possible. But this is, you know, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ. And so this is Jesus pulling back the curtain saying, you need to see me as I am now. And you need to see the things that you cannot see with your physical eyes that only I can show you with your spiritual eyes. And you need to see these things for your encouragement to know what is now actually happening that you can't always see, but what is going to take place so that you can be ready, but you can also be encouraged, that you won't be taken by surprise or deceived, but you will know what I'm doing in this world, and you will know where all this is heading. And so um, the further we've gotten in this book, the further I've gotten in this book for myself as I've gotten ready to prepare sermons to preach to us, um, I'm like, man, we just need to be in this. And we can't cover everything just like we can never cover everything in a, a sermon series moving through a book of the Bible because God's word is infinite. But what we can do is we can walk through and, and read uh, all of it. And we can walk through an order and read all of it, and, and we can kind of hold each other's hands as we move through it so that when this is over, you will have a working knowledge and a working comfort level to go back on your own with Jesus and be encouraged in this book. So uh, what's going to happen is we've already made small group guides for the whole semester as a movement. Uh, we're going to stick with those guides. Uh, and so the, the guides will not be matching up with the sermon that you're going to hear the following Sunday. And that's okay. That's what we've done for a while, but um, there's nothing biblical that's requiring that. So um, I want you all to think just for this semester about we are going to be walking through Revelation together on Sunday mornings. And these conversations that these guides are organized around, the passages and the themes, those are very good and very helpful themes for small group conversation. Those are passages and themes that lend themselves to really good conversation. Just know it's not going to match up exactly, so you can think of it as like supplemental and in addition to what we're doing on Sunday mornings, okay? Okay, so I just had to get that out there because I knew we'd be wondering like what's, what's happening. Um, so uh, as, we, as we get into today, we're going to be in chapter 6 today, uh, and before we read our scripture, um, 
I took my three older boys backpacking for the first time uh, this weekend, and we went to a place called Fiery Gizzard, if y'all have ever been there. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And uh, we, we ended up getting there after dark. And so uh, this was our first time really doing something other than just camping in the backyard or, or kind of car camping. And so we get there, and we're in this, you know, pretty deserted place, and it's pitch black, and the, the woods are just before us, and there's this little opening in the woods for the path to, like, start moving down the trail to get, we had, we had about a half mile walk to get to where we set up camp. And, you know, as soon as we got out of the truck, it was like, whoa, wait, what? Like, it is pitch black, and, like, we're going in there, and just... You know, we've never done this before. And what was so beautiful was as we got there, you know, I put on my headlamp, we started moving through the darkness, and we get five, you know, half a mile in, and we set up our tent, and there was no threat of rain. So we just left the rain fly off, and it was just the netting. And it was beautiful. It was, it was quiet. You could just hear the sounds of nature and see the stars. And we were all laying there, and we were all just like, this is incredible. This is so beautiful. And I tell you that story just because uh, what we're getting into today in chapter 6 is, you know, Evan preached last week on Jesus is the one who is worthy, the lamb worthy to take the scroll from the one who sits on the throne. And, and he is going to begin to open the seals. And we're going to begin to unfold what is taking place from Jesus' death and resurrection to the end of all things in human history, God's plan for human history. And what we're going to see is that it gets very dark, but that darkness is necessary for the Lord to fulfill his good and perfect will for the end of all things. And so um, if y'all will turn to Revelation chapter 6, um, Evan's going to come read our passage for us. Okay, this is Revelation 6, the full chapter, 1 through 17. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out and conquering, and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of a of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, and the generals and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, would you um, bless us as we read and uh, as I preach this word, Lord, as we all hear it. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you come and in your power and your love uh, would you speak to every one of us this word in a way that we could understand so that we could love you more and obey you and, um, and just be more in awe of who you are and that you would increase our worship for you and that you would change us, Lord, that you would set us free from our sin, set us free from our lack of understanding uh, so that we might walk uh, more closely with you and uh, partner with you in this redemptive work you're doing in all of the world. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so, um, you know, Jesus is opening this scroll. This is, this is the, the scroll is human history between the times of Jesus' coming. The scroll is what happens after um, Jesus comes and is, is, dies for us and is, is resurrected. From there until the end of all things, this is God's will. This is the plan, and this is why uh, John was weeping when he thought that nobody was found worthy to open this, because uh, if God is the perfect one, if he is the holy one, if he is righteous, then his plan is what is best, and for all of creation to suffer under not being able to experience God's perfect will for all of creation and all of humanity, um, that is worthy of weeping. And so the lamb comes and takes the scroll and begins to open it. And the symbolism of this is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he is the only one that can make the math make sense. He is the only one that would allow God to be just and the God of mercy, the God who uh, punishes sinners rightly for their uh, rebellion against him, but also saving the people of God. How can these things both be true? Um, it is through the, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus taking the scroll and beginning to open it and reveal what's coming is symbolic of Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection unleashing this, making this possible. And so you see the progression here as, as these seals are opened and more and more of God's will is revealed. Um, you, you see like what, what starts to happen. And so first we're going to look at these first four seals because they kind of come a, as a group. And... At the opening of each one of these first four seals, one of the four living creatures around the throne prays to, to Jesus and says, come. 
And, and what is happening, we, we've talked about this before, but, you know, the numbers in Revelation are symbolic. And so these four creatures, um, many think that they are representative of all of creation. You know, remember their faces. One has the face of a, an eagle, one has the face of a lion, one has the face of an ox, one has the face of a man. So it's sort of representative of all of creation. And we hear about the four winds and the four corners of the earth. And so this is like all of creation. So as these first four seals are opened, um, these, what we, you know, have been referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, of the apocalypse are released. And that's not the first time we hear of these horsemen. Um, they are uh, prophesied in the book of Joel and in the book of Zechariah. And it's, it's this imagery of the opposition and the pressure to God's will being unfolded on earth through the land. The coming kingdom is going to face opposition from the kingdom of this world. And so that's represented by these four horsemen who are released to do all sorts of damage on the earth. And so whenever each one of them is released, a different one of the living creatures sees what they've been released to do and prays, Lord, please come. Like, please come and save us from what I am witnessing here, what is happening on the earth. As your kingdom is coming and putting pressure on the kingdom of this world, it is going to get darker before it becomes light. Um, it made me think of uh, that, that line from uh, The Dark Knight Rises where uh, Bruce Wayne is just, uh, Rachel dies and Bruce Wayne is um, just thinking like, have I done something totally wrong? Like, has this all been a mistake? And he's like getting this out to Alfred and Alfred says, he said, you know, I wanted to inspire good. And Alfred says, you have inspired good, but you spat in the faces of Gotham's darkest criminals. Did you not think there might be some casualties? And in, in the same way, uh, this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is coming and fighting against the kingdom of this world and, and, and refusing to let the kingdom of this world stand. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of death and the kingdom of destruction and the kingdom of lies. Uh, there's going to be a raging against the coming kingdom of God. Um, when you spit in the face of the author of all evil, do you not think there will be some casualties? Now, obviously, the difference here is that God is on the throne and he is sovereign over all things. There's, not, there's no doubt over whether he is going to be victorious. But somehow, in God's perfect plan, he is allowing the enemy to continue to wreak havoc in some ways. But it's limited. If you read these passages, the first four seals being opened and these riders of these horses being released, there's always a limit. It says that they were given authority. They were given a sword. They were given... Um, you know, you can harm this, but don't harm this. God is, this is not chaos. God is never surprised by what happens. He knows what's happening, and he's always on the throne. He's always in control. And so you look at these four riders. Um, he opens the first seal, and it's the rider on a white horse. And if you've ever, you know, read through Revelation or other passages of Scripture, you begin to read this, and you think, is he talking about Jesus? Because he has a bow, and he has a crown, and he's on a white horse. And that's kind of by design because this rider is the rider of deception. So he is going throughout the whole earth looking like God, looking like Jesus, and it's false religion, it's humanism, it's materialism, it's false spiritism, it's, it's all idolatry and false religions. It's everything that's false and deceptive to separate people from the real God, the real one true living God. And so um, that's what he has let loose on the earth to do. And then the second rider, the rider on the bright red horse, 
uh, brings with him death, brings with him uh, violence and destruction. And so you think about homicide and genocide and war and all sorts of uh, violent physical abuse against people. Like, this is unleashed on the world through this, this second rider. Uh, the opening of the third seal, hearing the third living creature say, come, looked and behold a black horse with a pair of scales in his hand. And we start hearing about these, these necessities, basically these groceries that you need to live on. Um, all of a sudden the price is allowed to go through the roof. And it's these like exponential um, cost of things like a loaf of bread and a, a jug of milk. And, and so what's happening, what we're talking about here is like scarcity and famine and um, injustice and all sorts of like disparity between peoples. And then in the fourth, the fourth seal is open, the fourth rider comes out, and it's the rider on a pale horse whose name is Death, and Hades follows him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. So then we, we just throw in all sorts of natural disasters and diseases, and we get this picture of the enemy wreaking havoc all over the earth. And we get the, this picture of these four creatures seeing this happen and begging the Lord through prayer, please come. Please come and put an end to all of this. We know that this is part of your perfect will, but we don't want to see this last. Like, please come. And it's, it's, it paints this picture of, of what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8 when he says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's this picture of these four creatures representing all of creation, groaning, longing, saying, Lord, please, please come. And then Paul continues, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, waiting for all things to be put right. But um, we have to ask the question, is God unaffected by this? And the answer is no, because Paul continues... Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So um, all of God's creation, all of God's people, and God himself are groaning as we move through the opening of these first four seals. But these creatures that are, are saying come, that are praying this prayer, calling for Jesus to come, um, it is a prayer of uh, desperation of please come quickly but it's also a prayer of like a battle cry like if this is the way through if we have to be in war with evil and fight our way through to victory then let's go it's a it's a prayer of come as in like come on and let's go and let's do this and this is where we find ourselves in the story in between Jesus is coming and in a way um, Maybe that's why the Lord of the Rings story resonates with me so much, but uh, it's, it's the little hobbits who are so pitiful and so weak are fighting against the black riders. Um, in a way, we are fighting with Jesus against these four horsemen because these four horsemen are released on the earth to do these terrible things. And we are here on this earth, and 
We don't know God's timing of when he's going to stop it, but we don't sit idly and just let it happen. We fight against these four writers and the things that they bring to earth. And so while we live in our time between uh, Jesus' comings and our own time between our birth and our death, this is what we are doing as we are partnering with him on his mission in the world as we are fighting against these four riders. We fight against the rider on the white horse who looks like Jesus, but is not. We fight against that rider with truth. We move into people's lives with the truth of the gospel. And we, we free them from deception. You are being deceived by something that is false, by something that is not God, by something that is not bringing life, by something that is leading you to death and leading you to destruction. And so we are shepherding people, including ourselves. We are reminding one another of the truth, shepherding in truth to fight against the rider on the white horse. You know, when we, when we, um, when Dean stands guard out front and we, we stand in places of protection and we stand in places of healing, that we are fighting against the rider on the bright red horse. We're fighting against the one who brings violence, who brings destruction. You know, when the rider on the black horse comes in injustice and famine and scarcity, we fight with abundance and mercy and justice. And when the rider to his death comes, uh, we fight against the rider on the, the pale horse by bringing restoration and new life in Jesus. And so um, there is a cost to living like this, though. This is how we are called to live, and it's going to cost us. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's going to cost us our lives. And Jesus is, is given his vision of opening the fifth seal. Um, what happens to freedom fighters is they get killed. When, when they open the fifth seal, he sees uh, those who have been killed, those whose souls have been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they have borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And the, the reason we see this image of their, their um, souls being under the altar is this is the place where when, when sacrifices were made on the altar, the blood would drain down under the altar. And what God is saying here, the picture that he's giving is living as a living sacrifice, giving, uh, following our Jesus and giving our bodies over to be killed so that others can have life. Um, this is our, our spiritual act of worship. And he's saying that, um, what he's saying is not that every single one of my followers is going to face death for the word of God and for the testimony of the saints, um, but you might. And that's what it is to follow Jesus, is to say, no matter what comes, um, I belong to you and I'm following you. And so um, just like Jesus' death and resurrection brings this whole new life and recreation, um, and uh, we knew I was going to get wet today, but now you guys are too. So join me. Um, that, that his life in us ripples and echoes the same way. Um, this is what Paul is saying in Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. When you hear that phrase, what is lacking, you think, wait, that doesn't make any sense because Jesus' death and resurrection was sufficient for all of God's people to be saved. 
what Paul is talking about here, what is lacking is there is still suffering to be done on behalf of the kingdom of God on this earth before Jesus returns. In this passage, opening the fifth seal, what you hear is the martyrs crying out. And they're crying out to Jesus is this beautiful picture of mature faith. Because they're saying, um, you, Lord, are good. You are holy. We know you are holy. Um, you are true. You are going to keep every promise that you make to us. You are sovereign. Nothing is surprising you. Nothing is more, more powerful than you. You are in control always. And we know all of these things are true. Your character is not in question. So the one question we're asking is how long? Because we are suffering under injustice. How long are you going to allow this to happen in your perfect will? And so that's a, uh, a lesson for us. And how do we suffer um, in a way that is healthy and mature? Is We don't question God's character or his power, but we just bring our suffering to him and, and ask how long, Lord, please come quickly. Please come and have your way in this situation. Please come and have your way in the world. But what they get told is that there is a specific time and there is a specific completion uh, because God says, this will not be over until all of my martyrs who are going to be killed for the faith are killed for the faith. And what's implied there is more martyrs are going to have to be killed for the faith because this isn't over until all of my sons and daughters are brought home to me. And the way that many sons and daughters are going to be brought home to me is through the death of my saints. Because just like me, the way that my death allowed life in people, I am, I am working through you as you go out in the world and as you fight death the same way that the lamb fought death, which is allowing death to overtake him, to destroy death in that way, then new life comes from that. And so when Paul says, hey, I'm filling up the, um, the suffering that was lacking in Christ's death, it means like I'm taking my part and his call to all of God's people from here until he returns to suffer so that other people can have life and join our family. And so that's what we see when the sixth seal is open. And then we get to the, uh, sorry, the fifth seal. And now we get to the sixth seal. And this is really, remember there's seven seals, but we only get to the first six in this passage. And this is the end before the end. Um, what we see here in this what's portrayed in the sixth seal being opened. A great earthquake, the sun becoming black as sackcloth, the, the full moon becoming like blood, the stars of the sky falling to earth, like the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale, the sky vanishing like a scroll being rolled up, every mountain and island removed from its place. This is a picture of literally all of creation being torn apart at the scene. You know, we say that... Uh, the Lord is the creator and sustainer of all of creation, that there's this reality that if God were not actively sustaining all of creation, it would all just fall apart. And so here we get this picture of that beginning to happen. When all things are starting to come unraveled as the new thing is starting to happen, it's, it's almost as if God just removes his hand and his constant attention and the world, literally the cosmos, begins to just unravel and fall apart. But the other thing that starts to happen at this point is that those who um, have rejected the Lamb, those who have rejected the living God, and said, no, I, I refuse to belong to you. Um, I will do life on my own terms. They see this moment, and they know that it's too late. 
that throughout all of human history, um, our God is such a merciful God. There have been innumerable calls for repentance. Even, even now, I mean, think about all the times in your own life and in my life and in the lives of our world and in the lives of all of human history, so many times, more times than we can count, God is saying, even now, even after all these things you've done, even after all the ways that you've chosen to live apart from me, even after all the double birds you have given me right to my face as I've come in love to you, even now, if you would just turn and come to me, you would have life. So this, this whole, uh, this is the picture of love and mercy and justice all together. We don't have a God who is only the God of justice who cannot wait to slay the wicked. We don't have a God who is only the God of, of something that we call love that's not really love and just nothing matters. It's all relative. It's all okay. There is no good and evil. We have a God who is perfectly just and perfectly loving and perfectly merciful. And the way that he has decided that that fleshes out throughout human history is a constant call to repentance. But there is a day coming when it will be too late. And on this day, um, he says that everyone from the highest kings to the lowest slaves who have rejected him are going to be, I mean, it's such a pitiful, pitiful picture that all of these people are going to be begging for the mountains to fall on them and crush them to death because they don't want to face the lamb, because they don't want to face the face that they were made for, because they just continue to reject him. And they're saying, please fall on us and crush us so we don't have to look this God in the eyes and we don't have to face what's coming. That's why this stuff matters why this matters because this day is coming and they're going to be begging and this was talked about Jesus talked about this uh, long before Jesus walked the earth the prophet Joel talked about this and here's something beautiful here is our merciful God at work even as he's talking about this day that's coming Peter on his sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2 Peter quotes this it says, this is what's happening. Like, this day is coming. And in the very next verse, do you know what he says? He says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. God's offer of salvation is for everyone. Every man, woman, and child from every nation, from every people group, from every time in history, from every personal history. Everything that you've come out of, everything that you've ever choose, chosen to do or think or say that is wicked and awful and heinous, this call comes to you. You are not accepted from this. God's call comes to you and says, everyone who calls on my name will be saved. That is a promise. That is a guarantee that you can take to the bank. So God is saying, Today is the day. You know, you read in Scripture, uh, Paul says this in uh, 2 Corinthians 6.2. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You know, there's a way in which you can read Scripture, and you can hear there's multiple passages that talk about, you know, the end is coming soon. Today is the day. Now is the time. You hear all these things, and you think, man, do these guys not know what they're talking about? Because here we are 2,000 years later, and it still hasn't happened yet. This must be a mistake. No. 
We don't understand what they mean by now or today because it's always now. It's always today because our lives are short. For these people who are hearing Paul's word and the Corinthians who received this letter, that day was today because there wasn't necessarily a tomorrow for them. And today, when we hear it, today is today because tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of us. And so today is always the day of salvation because we don't have tomorrow. So Jesus is saying, hey, this is what's coming. But you don't have to be on the wrong side of this. Because I'm standing here today saying, please, come to me and have life. Drink from the fountain of living water free of charge. You don't have to bring me anything. You don't have to promise to be a good little boy or a little girl. You don't have to bring a bunch of money to put in an offering plate. You don't have to do anything. You come and you trust in me and I will take care of the rest. I am the one who brings transformation. I'm the one who puts my Holy Spirit in you and brings you new life. You just have to come and raise your hand and confess that you have been living apart from me and now you are turning and you want to find life in you. As Peter said at the end of his sermon at Pentecost, when the people were cut to the heart and they were convicted, they said, we've been living like this. What do we do? Peter says, repent, turn, turn away from the ways you're trying to find life apart from God and turn back to God to find life and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so today uh, we get to um, baptize one of our sisters, uh, Lindsay Johnston. So Lindsay, if you'll come on up. And y'all, today, I'm not afraid to get a little Pentecostal on you. Um, Lindsay's doesn't have to be the only baptism. So if you're hearing this and you're saying, I am responding to Jesus for the first time, then come and be baptized. So, um, Lindsay, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope except in his sovereign mercy? Thank you. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Thank you. And um, Lindsay is... Uh, has been following Jesus for some time now, but has not been baptized. And so uh, as we baptize Lindsay, I'm going to invite you all to kind of just make your way toward the shore as I find a good place for us to do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Got the chocos, so we're good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, at the, uh, at the end of the baptism, uh, we're just going to kind of stay where we are, and Jess is going to lead us in the doxology to close our... Thank Still you. Going. Okay, cool. I'm starting to walk over there. I didn't want to get knocked in the water.